Uh, I saw a great picture of what it looks like to be totally behind in things this, uh, this weekend. I spent a lot of my life, like I feel like I'm about five minutes late to everything, uh, but I was running in a race on Saturday or Thursday morning. We've got a picture of that. Amazingly, they made my legs look darker in the picture than they actually are. Uh, but uh, picture up, yes, there it is, beautiful. Uh, I, we're at this race at Woodward, and the direction that it goes is you, you leave the park, and then you start going north. You're about like a mile and a half north, and then you turn around and come back. So right around at the, two and a half, like at the turnaround part, which is a mile and a half from the starting line, 10 minutes into the race, uh, there's a guy who comes running up, holding all of his stuff, and he asks one of the people working the race, hey, which direction to the starting line? Like, that is a, an amazing picture of being way behind in life. He's about 10 minutes late and he's about a mile and a half away from the starting line. So we're looking at starting about 20 minutes after the race starts. Uh, I've been behind in life, never that far behind. And for all of us, we have areas in our lives where that's exactly where we are. There are other areas where everything is together, but then there are those areas. And so we want to look at for the next few weeks is those areas where, where we're falling behind, where we need some fixing up. And God, as a perfectly loving, holy father, he doesn't look at us like a butcher and say, you've messed up and now you're going to pay for it. He looks at us as a shepherd. And he said, this is where you're set apart. This is where you've kind of wandered off the organized, showing up at the race on time path. I'm going to lead you back to what I have for you. And the whole reason about this comes from a conversation that Jesus had with a person one day. Uh, He's a guy who knows the Bible. He's a guy who's proud of his knowledge of the Bible. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what is the most important thing I have to remember above all else? Boil it down to one thing. I want to know what I'm doing right so I can tell everyone. And Jesus says, it's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything is based on those two commandments. And so when Jesus says, love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, we look at that and we know that we need to do fixer-upper because all means all. We know that within that all, every single one of us has a lot of room to grow. And so that's the attitude that we're going to have for the next few weeks. As you can see from the sides, either we lost our storage somehow or we're doing a a garage theme today. Garage is where you store two types of things. Either you store the really important things that you drive and you've invested a ton of money in or you store the stuff that you bought because you thought that you needed it at one point and you really don't care about it anymore. It's a window really into our greed. Because we come to America, we look at at how much we have compared to the rest of the world, and we have houses for ourselves, and we also have houses for our cars and our extra stuff. And so what we want to look at today is how we manage our greed. And there's a difference between greed and ambition, because I look at this, and the first thing I'm not saying for us to do is just to totally give up on life. That's not what the point of today is, because ambition can be a good thing. It can actually be a good thing, but where ambition steps on, or when greed steps on people, ambition works with people. Greed says, I don't care about what anybody else has going on. I'm going to have more. My stuff's going to look better. My TV is going to be bigger. My car is going to be faster. My house is going to be more square footage. My pool is going to be more sparkling. My diving board will be more higher. All these things. None of them are bad in themselves, but when greed takes over, it's really off to the races for us. 
So I want to start today uh, with, with looking at the top 10 effects of greed running wild. Greed's uncontrollable desire to get stuff. So when this happens in our lives, what's going to be the result of that? What's going to happen? Jesus has an antidote to this. Uh, Matthew 6, 19, he says this. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth, i.e. don't let greed run you. Because moths will eat them and rust will destroy them. And thieves will break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And so what are the top 10 effects of completely flipping that on its head and storing up treasures here on earth and saying, I'm going to live for this life first and whatever happens in heaven, that's when I'm dead and gone and doesn't really matter. First, first thing is you get worn out chasing things. We're going to go through these quickly. Apple and Samsung will never stop making phones. You will always have a new one to either purchase now or wait until October until the next one comes out. Secondly, it's a plan to enter into debt. All right, so uh, Proverbs 22, 7, it says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is, borrower is servant to the lender. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. Both these are painting us a picture of that, that God's plan for your finances, the way, we, the way that he has wired our wallets to work with us, is that God is going to be first over everything, and our money isn't going to be something that we put next to God, isn't something that we put over God, and we just kind of fit God in when we have space for him. But our whole lives are going to be devoted to giving God, or God glory in every single area of us, which means that our finances are going to bow down to Jesus just like every other area in our life. But when greed is running us, we're going to walk ourselves into debt uncontrollably because our spending, our desire for more is easily going to outrace our budget. That means that we end up in debt, that we spend more money than we actually have. For some of you, this Christmas is going to be the first Christmas that you ever make it through and get to January 1st debt-free. For some of you, that's been your pattern of life. Statistics say... Uh, that the, the generation most likely to go into credit card debt after Christmas is the baby boomers. So that's 65 plus. Second most likely is Gen X, which is 40 to 60, uh, depending on, we're just using round numbers, and then 40 and under the millennials, they're the least likely. But as they move back in with their parents and hang out with their parents more and more at their house, as they get older, they bring their debt with them. So that, that scale of who's most likely to least likely then flips when it turns into who keeps that debt around longer. So my generation, it's people going through life with tons and tons of credit card debt. Whereas the, the baby boomers and the Gen Xers, they get through Christmas, they pay it off, and it's done and gone. God's plan for us in our finances is that we're going to give first, which is called tithing. We're going to get at that in a little bit. We save second. He gave us a brain to plan ahead. He gave us means to plan ahead. So we're going to give, we're going to save, and the rest we're going to live on. It's his way of saying, I'm going to protect you as my children through everything. You give, you save, and then you live on everything that's left. God's saying, I'm going to be first, your future is going to be second. You get to be third, and you live on whatever percentage is left. But greed runs us into debt all the time. Next, our hearts get full of fear and worry. Because we're always thinking about, about what do we need to buy next? What do we need to do next to keep up with everyone around us? And next, we end up fighting in our marriage and family and with our friends. The top, one of the top causes of divorce year in and year out is financial issues. That husbands and wives can't get along together around money and that that becomes a cause among others to, to lead to divorce. 
Next, we're never satisfied because we always want more. When greed is running us, we always want more. There is never a ceiling in our lives. So when Anna and I moved into the house that we're in now, uh, we were still paying off student loan debts. No, we just finished paying off student loan debts and stuff. And so we had one of those TVs that was 27 inches by 27 inches by 27 inches. Uh, and so the high schoolers who were helping us move, one of them is carrying it in, throwing out his back nearly because the thing weighed as much as a car. And he's like, why do you have this junky TV? And I reminded him that I live with a beautiful lady and he lives with his parents. And when you live as an adult, uh, you have to spend money differently. So it was more important for me to own my degree than to have a nice TV. So what we did was we paid off the degree And then we saved two months' worth of payments. So in our budget, it still looked like we were paying, but we were just setting money into a TV fund. We took two months' worth of student loan payments and bought the TV that we had wanted. We had suffered through life with the embarrassing TV that weighed more than our kids combined at that point because we only had two, so the math was easy. And we, we did the research online, we made sure we were buying the right thing, and then we bought the TV that we wanted. We didn't go into debt a penny on it because we saved the money uh, and we were able to pay cash and bring it home without any strings attached to anything. It was amazing. So we hung it up. A few weeks later, uh, my sister and brother-in-law come over, and up until that day, my brother-in-law thought that he had the biggest TV in the house, in the whole family. Bigger than my parents, bigger than our 27, 27, 27 TV. Uh, And he walked in, and all of a sudden, there's this TV that's as big as his windshield. And he inspected the crud out of that thing. He wanted to know every single spec, everything that went into that whatsoever. Me, I don't have a clue. If it says five stars, I'm buying it, uh, as long as we have the money. And so he just wants to know everything, because he had been overtaken because he was now second place, because he had the shameful silver medal in the biggest TV in the family category, which is a real thing, because I made it up, and I have the microphone. (laughs) But we're never satisfied. We always want more. I am the same way in that and other things. The story just worked out for me, so I told that one. Next, it damages our self-esteem. We cannot keep up. It, ca- it creates a lack of contentment. It keeps us from enjoying others' successes. I notice that in myself all the time because I see other people doing things and I see the th- way that other things are going and it's like, no, that's, man, I, I can't do that. Even, even if it's just my own insecurity that's speaking. One of the ways that greed and self-centeredness affects us is that it keeps us from enjoying others' success. Next, it's irresistibly passed down to your kids. Okay, if you're the type of person who money runs everything, money is your ultimate authority in life and, and the gauge of whether or not you're in a good place or not is what's going on in your life financially, your kids will 1 million percent pick that up. You flip it over and you live generously. You teach them how to budget. You teach them how to take care of money well. You model that for them by, by when they want to buy something at the store that's ridiculous. You don't say, no, we don't have the money. You don't say, no, go away. You say, that's not how we're choosing to spend our money. You're teaching them financial prudence from a very, very young age. They're going to pick up on that also that we save for the things that we want, that we live generously, that when they go to church and the tithe, the 10% on what they made for the week is a quarter, that that's how we give, that we teach them from a young age what it is to honor God from our money. Greed gets passed down, but so does good financial management. And lastly, the effect of, of greed running wild in our life is it's a denial of the goodness of God. Right, it closes our eyes to the good things that we want. 
One of the things that we're praying for for our church is to have a building that is 100% ours from Sunday to Sunday, that it's ours. I want it between church and Tulare, Chestnut, and Temperance. That's what I'm asking God for, that we can be a place that ministers uh, to the Sunnyside community. But if we're only focused on the building that we don't have, we're gonna miss out on some things. And rightly, you know, it's something to pray for. We want to have a week-to-week visible presence in the community that's more than the amazing signs that we have out on Peach and Kings Canyon. We wanna invest our money intelligently in a mortgage. We, our setup crew is amazing, but we would rather stay home at 6 a.m. in the morning instead of being here to set up. And we'd love to have week-to-week stability that comes with the building that is ours. If we focus on all those things, we will miss out on the amazing blessing that Sunnyside High is to us. Because seriously, we have an amazing location here. We are right at a big intersection where hundreds of people go through every minute, right? It's a great place for us to be here. I love where we are between two neighborhoods. I love that we get to minister to a wide range of people just based on who we are. I love that we have a park down the street from us so that we can have sports camp there. And it's a really easy thing to say, hey, we are that church right there. You look down the street, you see that big massive building called Sunnyside High School. That's where we meet on a Sunday. I love the fact that we have tons of space here. I hear other people talk about space issues that we have. I am praying that one day we have space issues here in the theater that holds 535 people. Today is kind of that day because a lot of people showed up and I'm really, really grateful for that. But someday, I'd love to hit the 80% rule because that's what they say is at 80% full, you're basically full because nobody will look around for a seat. It'd be amazing to have this place 80% full. We have plenty of space. We have all of the facilities that we need here. We have everything that we need. And we also have a really nice guy named Andy who lives up in the booth. If you think I'm hard to deal with at 9.30, imagine being Andy who has to deal with me at 6 in the morning. Okay, so he's very nice, he's very gracious, and he's very good at working with us on Sundays for us to be able to do everything that we want to do, including a baptism, which we told him what we wanted to do, and he's like, yes, this is how to make it work, it's going to be amazing. We're so blessed here at Sunnyside. And if all we look at are the things that we don't have, the building that doesn't ex- exist, the setup that happens every week, the teardown that happens every week, and how amazing would it be if those things didn't have to happen, we're going to miss out on the amazing blessing that this place is. And it goes like that in so many other areas of our lives too. If we look out and keep our eyes fixated and our hearts fixated on what we don't have, we are going to cheapen and diminish and shrink God's goodness in us. So the antidote to greed, what is it? It's contentment that starts with God and trusts God above everything else. Psalm 1611, it's a great picture of what this looks like. He says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Man, that's what I want my life to look like. Where I'm not bothered by what I, do, what I don't have, the stuff that I have to work through. I don't, I'm not bothered by the before picture that, that I am. But I can say, okay, God, I want to learn from you. Show me the way to do this. Grant me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. When we have that attitude, we're able to live life full of contentment regardless of what our greed status looks like. Regardless of how big the engine is in the car that lives in the garage, regardless if we have the big TV or the 27 by 27 by 27 TV. Because Jesus is gonna last through all those things and a relationship with him is gonna pull us through everything else. So how do we do that? First, we invest time and energy into growing our relationship with God. 
We invest time and energy into growing our relationship with God. It's not something that's just going to happen. None of us are going to achieve contentment on our own. We're born with this inborn desire for more stuff. Okay, I taught my kids how to say lots of words, taught them how to say mom, and we taught them how to say mom and dad and how to sing church songs, and, and we taught them what Jesus is and, and how much he loves them and wants a relationship with them. We never taught our kids how to say mine. Right? They're born with that. One day they just show up, mine. Where did you learn that? Inside them. But if we, if we take, an, take an attitude and approach and, and energy behind our relationship with God, that's going to be something that grows contentment faster than a bank account that has a better return on it than a really good interest rate. Because God's contentment is going to grow in us, which affects the way, that we cha- the way that we spend money and view our finances. So I invest time into growing my relationship with God. I also won't compare myself to others. Okay, I, I'm bad at this. You want to find one thing that I'm bad at, just hit this and remind me every day that I don't need to do that. I'm doing my shape on, Monday, on Wednesday. Uh, shape journaling is our church's Bible reading and journaling thing. Uh, we do it every day, read through different chapters, and I'll mention it often because it's something that uh, I try to do every day, and I think it's something that we should do every day. Uh, and so whatever it was in there, uh, it's, I'm just asking God for big things. And the first thing that goes through my head, uh, which is wrong and I repented of it, is God, I can't do this. I'm not this person and, and I don't lead like this. And so, Lord, what, what do I do? Okay, first you, you repent and you get out of comparing yourself to others. Me, I need to do that too. That's where I fall short. That's where I need Jesus in this. If you find yourself always comparing yourself with others and you're just always looking, what are they doing? How do I need to measure up? One great way to kill that in your life and cut it out and not bring it back is to quit social media. Before to find out if you were keeping up with the Joneses, you had to actually run into the Joneses or be someplace where they were until you could measure up. Now their best picture shows up on your phone that lives in your pocket. It's not the 17 that they had to take where their kids were screaming. It was one where all seven of them looked perfect with the right smiles and the right shoes on and everything is amazing. Right, on social media, everybody projects the best of the best. And if you want a way out of comparing yourself with others, deactivate your account and delete the app. Because it's going to completely change the way that you look at yourself, the way that you look at other people. We had our sports camp on Wednesday. Tuesday. Uh, it was great. It was really good. It was our first time doing something like this. We learned a ton about how to do it for next time. Uh, and one thing that we learned in my comparing yourself to others side uh, is you take the picture way later than we did. Because right after we took the picture, there were like 15 kids who showed up. And I was thinking, man, we need to take another one at the end so that we can post it. And there's going to be more kids in the picture and we're going to look way better. That's the absolute wrong attitude to have in life. We're grateful for every kid who showed up the ones who made the picture and the ones who didn't make the picture. And for us to grow in contentment with God, that means that we stop comparing ourselves to others. Next, it means that we're thankful and we praise God for what we have. Praise God for what we have. So Wednesday was my burst into flames day of of comparing myself to others and and just a mess. Uh, Thursday, I'm doing my shape journaling early in the morning. And I just go through every person who I can think of at Sunnyside and say, God, thank you for these people. Why? Because they're a gift to God. You're a gift uh, from God to me. And the way that we get to do church here and be a light for people who are far from Jesus and encouragement to people who have a relationship with Jesus to grow. We thank God for everything that we have. 
Next, we're generous with what God has given us. This, is, this involves our heart and our hands. It's a change of attitude and also a change of practice. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-11, it says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't, be reluct- don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. God. Man, I'm generous with what God has given me. It means in our hearts we recognize that everything that we have is a gift. He's using the image of a farmer planting seeds. We look at the money that we have, that we have an opportunity to be generous with or not to be generous with. And in all reality, that is a gift from God. There's not a person in here who is authentically, honestly self-made. For every one of us, God has given us gifts. He's a good father. He's a good shepherd who will lead us into things. Yeah, you might have been the one who made the phone call to get you that job or to take that opportunity, but God was the one who set it up. And we look at, if we look at our whole lives as what God has given to us and we approach everything in humility with open hands, we have an opportunity to be generous. It starts with putting our trust in God and not in money. And letting that decision run our hearts. And then with our hands to actually practically do this, it starts with tithing. Tithing is giving 10% of everything that we make back to God through the local church. What it does is it funds God's work through this place. If you go to a different church, if that's your home church, give your 10% there. What it does is it funds the work of the church, the work of telling people about Jesus. What it also does is it begins to loosen our hands around our finances. It makes it easier for us to give away, to be generous with money because we've already started by giving away, giving back that 10%. God asks for a percentage so it's equal for every person. He doesn't say, I want this much money because then, then it, would, it would differ from person to person how much of a percentage that is. What he says is, I want 10%. I want the first, I want the beginning. And as you give to me, you're gonna find a wave of protection coming in behind you. The person that he told that to is, is a farmer. And so he says, you give me your 10%, and what you're going to find is that your crops are going to be abundantly blessed. That, that parasites, that things that are going to come and destroy them aren't going to happen to you. The destroyer will be destroyed, and your stuff is going to flourish. It's not so that we give to get, but it's so that we say, okay, God, you've got first in my finances, and then I'm going to give, I'm going to save, and I'm going to live. And part of that living enables us to be generous. It encourages cheerful generosity. For us here, we've got a cool opportunity to be able to provide food in December for other people. As you walk out, you're going to see some Christmas trees on your left and a bunch of Lowe's boxes behind those. If you haven't picked up a box yet, I encourage you today, pick up a box. It's great that you're in first service because we might have to change some things for second service if everybody here picks up a box and takes it home. But this is an opportunity for us to practice cheerful, God-honoring, exciting, joyful generosity. And it's also a way for us to put our trust in God and not in money. We're going to give away money so that God can run more and more of us. And the last part is that we're planning for our eternal future. 
This is our response to the God that loves us. The God who saw us at the very beginning, didn't look at us as a project to be fixed up, but he looked at us and saw a son or a daughter that he loves, that he always has loved and he always will love. And within that separation, uh, there, within that love, there's a separation that exists between us and God with, through a thing that the Bible calls sin, where we wander our way f- away from God, whether it's financially, where it's socially, any possible way. And what God did is God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, to restore our relationship with Jesus. And this is part of us living that out. This is part of us responding to that. To say, God, I know you love me. I know that you're going to take care of me. I know that you've given me some money to manage. And so, God, I'm going to treat you first in that. I'm going to let you be the God of my finances, not to clutter my life with stuff that I don't need, but instead of greed to live my life fueled and run by generosity. This is how we respond to God. It's a spiritual issue. It's a money issue. And it's a heart issue that God wants in us that he wants to fix up that he wants to separate right from wrong, that he wants to bring us into the men and women that he created us to be from our hearts to our wallets. Let's stand and pray. God, I thank you that you are the perfect fixer-upper. I thank you that you came for us when we were broken. You came for us when we needed you. You came for us when we were behind. And you called us to life. You called us Uh, to forgiveness. He called us to a fresh start with you. And God, as we go into December, as we look at, uh, as you look at so many opportunities for us to spend money recklessly, for us to uh, invest poorly, and for us to let comparison run us, and God, we don't want that. We want our hearts and our budgets and our wallets uh, fixed up before we get to that. God, I pray that you help us to trust you uh, and trust our relationship with you. Build into that before we spend money uh, this December. Thank you for the opportunities that we have to give gifts coming up next month. God, we pray that you uh, soften our hearts to the areas we can be generous to help those less fortunate. And if you're here today and, and you've never made the decision to trust Jesus with your life, you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins, to make you into a new person, I'm gonna give you that chance to do that today. You're not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with every other Jesus follower in here uh, that we're broken and we need Jesus to put us back together. So I'm gonna count to three and when I say three, if you've never made that decision before, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand and as we close, somebody's gonna walk you through that prayer. So one, God loves you. Always has, always will. He's never even flinched in his love for you and today he's calling you to follow him. Two, for every one of us, me included, there's sin in our hearts, in our lives that separates us from God. And what Jesus did was Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin, to bring us back into a relationship with God. And three, today's your day to say, that's me. I'm ready to begin that relationship. Is there anyone like that here today where today's your day to find forgiveness, to find restoration and find wholeness in Jesus? Just look at me and raise your hand. All right, for the rest of us, I want to encourage us to to respond with our feet, to come to the front, to stand, to kneel, uh, to sit, but to say, I I don't want to compare myself with other people anymore. I want to have a life that looks to Jesus above all else and does no horizontal comparing. We're done with that. We're sons and daughters of God. We don't need to be worried about what other people think of us. 
So I challenge you, I encourage you to come forward and declare that. And if you look at the whole issue of greed, of fear around finances, I want you to come forward and declare that also. Just say, God, I'm scared. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be afraid. But what we're asking is that God's peace, that God's uh, rule over our hearts, his perfect rule over us, is going to lead us out of fear and into obedience around our finances. Let's worship and respond.